0: 37 of beers business and balls this show as always is presented by anchor download the free anchor app or go to anchor.fm to start your podcast today jake zimmer and will tondo and we are back folks a few weeks without a show hopefully our interview with friday beers was enough to to hold you guys over and from the bottom of our hearts we do hope that you had a great christmas and holiday whatever you celebrate we hope it was great and relaxing Will, I mean, I, I do live with you, so I know this, but how have the first few weeks of 2021 been for you?
1: Personally, great. I mean, we are, we ended off the year pretty strong. We had a nice New Year celebration. Work's going well. Uh, outside of the personal bubble, I mean, seems like the world's going to shit again, but you got to stay positive every day and just, you know, keep those Keep that internal joy to yourself and to your friends and your loved ones because uh, <laughs> your shit's just crazy right now, but I can't complain. I can't complain. We're starting some healthier lifestyles. We are sleeping a little bit better. We're enjoying <laughs> sports while they're still around. 2021, it's been a pretty good 12 days so far.
0: Yeah, I can't complain about too much. I'm home and resting, uh, trying to figure out what the hell's up with my throat, but um, I'm sure working six games in six days last week did not have anything good to do with it, so that's wonderful. Um, I'm just excited for the guests we're about to bring these people. Um, we've got a hell of a pipeline coming up, and we've got a great guest to start off 2021, Brian Hoke from MLB.com. He is the Yankees beat writer. We talk about his career, and we can do a lot of fun stuff with him, too. I, I really enjoyed our conversation with Brian. Um, we recorded this right before Francisco Lindor got traded to the Mets, too. That would have been fun, but... Yeah, I mean, it, I don't need to hear it anymore. We <laughs> get it.
1: Honestly, and we'll get more into that in our rapid-fire in sports, but I feel like the Francisco Lindor buzz just, like, died real quick. Like, I feel like, okay, they traded for him. Twitter erupted for 30 minutes and then the Mets are still going to be the Mets and
0: like, well, I mean, we might be choosing to ignore that too. I think I'm choosing to ignore it. Yeah, that's not, that's not <laughs> we also need to figure out if there's even, there was so much shit that happened this week, some of which we'll talk about, but I mean, that's that, you got to realize that's kind of mixed in with all of this stuff going on. Like I'm pretty sure that trade got announced the day after. Yeah, it was the day after, after the storming of the Capitol. So, I mean, it is what it yeah, is. Yeah, a but.
1: lot of brush time <laughs> which is one of the reasons why we saved our interview with Brian and delayed our 2021 until this week. Uh, we have a lot of great content coming up, like Jake said, a lot of new stuff in the pipeline, a lot of great guests in the pipeline. We did not want to let the news of everything happening in our country get overshadowed, uh, overshadow what Brian was going to say because this interview was a fun one to start the year. So we hope you enjoyed it. Yeah.
0: No, I totally agree. So um, a 2021 resolution of ours, I guess you could say, of sort, is to find more beer. And that's a very easy resolution to, to have. So cheers to 2021. Cheers to some new beers. Let's have some. What are you drinking?
1: Yes. Yeah, so unfortunately, I did not get to my 1000 by 2020. I that's depressing.
0: Hit a wall.
1: Yeah. I mean, I kind of hit a wall towards the end of the year where I just was not, I could not pound four beers a day. I was not in that mindset, I was not in that capacity. I've been drinking a lot more whiskey, just a little bit more. uh, I've been seeing you drink more whiskey, are you okay? One of those things where it's just, it's a nice, it's a nice nightcap, you know, it's a nice, it doesn't make you feel heavy. It's like a melatonin, It's, it's relaxing, it's calming. But I hope to get a thousand beers by the end of January right in time for my birthday. But c'est la vie, life goes on. We're gonna review uh, Cloud Candy IPA from Mighty Squirrel Brewing Company in Waltham, Massachusetts. So this one is a hazy deep golden, orange and medium bodied New England IPA. It's double dry hopped and it has some of my favorites in Mosaic and Citra hops. I've seen this one around before. I don't know why I haven't tried it until now. I know you've drank it before. Oh, yeah. uh, Heidi Squirrel is definitely in a lot of restaurants and liquor stores. Uh, I've definitely seen the logo before and the Cloud Candy IPA it was definitely, it was a light refreshing IPA, uh, just the type I like besides the milkshake IPAs. It definitely, I gave it a four out of five. I mean, it was nothing to brag about, but it was a high quality IPA. It was one of those things where I drink again, if I saw it at a restaurant or a bar, there wasn't really anything else that jumped out of the page it's one that you can definitely rely on so four out of five for me uh i mean if you're brewing
0: anything with mosaic mosaic and citra you can't go wrong i agree those are phenomenal hops and cloud candy is great it's a massachusetts staple i love cloud candy it's very good beer a, this sounds like an ad for cloud candy yeah, right? <laughs> wow um yeah go buy some cloud candy fuck it let's go get a sponsorship um in the trend of Massachusetts beers, we've talked about True North Brewing Company. We've had some True North Brewing Company. I believe we had that at Chomp a couple of times, one of our favorite places to go in Rhode Island, Chomp uh, over on the east side. When we went to Boston a couple of weeks ago, I had secret test batch number 292 from True North. I saw that on the menu. I said, you know, I absolutely have to get this because anytime you market, something like secret test batch to a craft beer drinker. I feel like it's like, and I'm just going to hand you my money pretty much. So had that uh, really nice color. It's a hazy and juicy IPA blend of a lot of different hops. It says Eldorado, Azaka, Motuka, which I've never heard of before and Sabro hops. Uh, so it's a four of those. And then it's just like, there's a lot of stuff going on. It's tangerine, like mango, pine, coconut cream, mojito lime it says and a little mint i think i gave this a four um i would absolutely drink this again i hope they release it in more places and some liquor stores it's a secret patch secret test batch number 292 from true north go and find it anywhere where they serve beer on tap i believe in boston they should have this this was a tavern in the square collaboration too so -hmm. any tavern in the square uh location in boston like in Alston, um, I think there's one in Brighton. There should be one on the East Side too. I, I don't know. I sound like such a like an idiot <laughs> um, talking about Boston geography, but uh, great beer. Would we'll drink again. Bottom line, let's go into business now. And man, uh, not a good time for big tech stocks right now. If you have, you literally had to be living under a rock to understand or to not understand why, but Twitter's got a lot of fallout. Since they have banned President Donald Trump, their shares are done by 3%, but the stock overall has declined 12% since the Capitol Hill storming on Wednesday, January 6th. Wall Street analysts, of course, they're estimating the massive financial risk uh, to owning Twitter stock due to Trump supporters basically leaving and not engaging with the platform. And then they say that in turn will become less appealing for advertisers to sell their content on Twitter. And then something that I found shocking, Twitter sold $3.83 billion in ads in 2020. On January 12th, when we're recording this, the forecast already for 2021 is significantly under that. It is $3.28 billion. That is not good for Twitter and for big tech.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was one of those things that were, it was, it was in the horizon. You knew big tech in the year was already forecasting a downfall. Obviously, an event like this and everything that took place sped that process up for Twitter. But same with Facebook um this whole censorship thing is going to is going to hurt those companies and then there's that whole drama with parlor which i'm not really too familiar with uh, it's that whole new social media yeah
0: basically it's a they pride themselves in the free speech but it ended up turning into like a wicked extremist alright <laughs> yeah. social media platform so that
1: that had to get squashed but i don't know can we see more of this from twitter they are going to need to suck up a lot to earn back the trust from people. Um, Twitter, man. And then Jack Dorsey, he's just an interesting, interesting bird, but that's a- You're calling
0: him interesting? That's what we're calling him?
1: (laughs) We're being PC and polite right now, but Twitter's on the hot seat. But so we talk about the downfall in tech. Overall, though, the market has been pretty hot. Yeah. Strong for a lot, a lot of different uh, companies. One that just sticks out- sticks out to me is tesla uh tesla in the past week is up 12 over 12 percent in the past month almost up 40 percent elon musk man that guy anything he touches turns to gold he is it's going to be a portnoy musk ticket in 2024 i'm i'm not shutting that door because that's another national gaming broke the hundred dollar mark $100 $100 $100, nuts? $100 on January 12th. And the prediction that I wrote in a blog a few months ago was 100 by 2020 off a couple of days, but by the end of 2020. So they are, they are killing it. Um, a lot of the, and then my closing point is just the, all the, all the companies that created the vaccine, those stocks are down. Um, especially because there's been a low turnout in receiving those vaccines. I believe at the end of December, they were hoping uh, over 30 million Americans were going to get vaccinated and there's only about 3 million. So they're now going to make some pushes on that, but those stocks have been down, but the market overall pumping up high for 2021. Let's see how far
0: that wave could ride. I agree. And Here's the thing. It's consumer tech. I think like social media platforms that are facing the the backlash of what Twitter has done. And this is not good. Let me just say that right now. You know what? I, I will. I think it's at this point, we don't like diving into politics too much just because of opinions and all that, you know, we don't want to, this is a happy place, right? Beers business balls is the happy place. But I think at this point, I mean, let's just accept the fact that you have to be living under a rock, to not know that Donald Trump pretty much incited that from his Twitter. I mean, he did. So does that make – now, if there's anyone that deserved his Twitter ban, it was him. Uh, let's go on record and say that he deserved his Twitter ban at risk of national security. Now, this opens a big discussion after this of where's the line, right? You have the social media companies that are um, you know, filtering um, – they're filtering speech at this point. So that's been um, something that we've, we, we've got to be really careful of, you know, any time that someone's voice is taken away.
1: You have the constitutional purists, you have the people talking about what you're censoring and what you're not censoring. It's going to be a dicey, dicey, dicey battle. It is. Yeah. Um, it is. We saw, that, we saw that after 2016 with all of the election collusion you might say with oh well their ads are on getting pushed on facebook but they're not ads are getting pushed on twitter and vice versa it's just one of those like so it shouldn't be so controversial like social media was supposed to be this ability to connect people with all around the world and share your experiences and escape true life and social media is just becoming such an ugly platform like it's just not it's not enjoyable it's not enjoyable. No. And it sucks because you know making it personal, this podcast is heavily promoted on social media. And the content that you and I follow on social media are friends and family, breweries, people and celebrities and music groups that we like, sports news. Like, I don't give a shit about all of the negativity in politics. Like, I'll read that in the side. I will read my news sources. I will... I read Wall Street Journal. I read the post. I read the Times. I read it all. I watch the news. I don't want to see that on social media where after a long day of work, I just want to scroll. Oh, my friend just posted a picture of a dog. I like that. Oh, Long Live just dropped a new beer. I like that. Oh, BBB Pod just dropped a new episode. Just shit like that is what I want to see. I don't want to see all the he he said, she said, blah, 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 blah. I don't like you because you don't like my views
0: and vice versa yeah i agree and that being said facebook and snapchat have basically said hey we're not going to go this far because we believe in individualism and free speech and that kind of stuff which i think we both wholeheartedly agree with but they're both they're both taking little hits as the market um, progresses since the uh, twitter made the decision that they did so you know, will they suffer in the meantime as censorship becomes that hot topic in the U.S. and globally? I think so. I think, you know, even those reassuring messages aren't enough to say, you know, this is what's going on in the world. This is where social media is trending. But we'll have to see. I think um, I think they'll – they probably will go by their word. But, again, this could be a very dicey road that we're about to embark on. Yeah. So.
1: Not looking forward to it, but
0: life goes on. I agree. And that is business. You can get all your business news with us. You can follow us on Instagram, the.bbb.podcast. And we also have a slate of business writers, house-enterprise.com/slash the-blog. And there will be more business content to come for sure. Let's go into our interview with MLB beat writer Brian Hoke. He is the Yankees beat writer for MLB.com. He's been covering them since 2007. We talk about his entire career covering the Yankees, some of the best moments uh, that he's had covering the Yankees, and then his new book, the Bronx Zoom, that will be out in January of 2021, or excuse me, June of 2021. Without further ado, here's Brian Hoke of MLB.com.
1: All right, everybody, with us this week, first interview of 2021, the new season, we have Brian Hoke, MLB writer, reporter, Covering the New York Yankees. You know, it's our team. So sorry for all our Red Sox fans out there. Um, but the man that has written two books on, you know, two separate dynasties of the Yankees, you know, the Core Four and now the Baby Bombers, new book coming out as well. But joining us today is we have Brian Hoke. Brian, how are you today?
2: Doing great, guys. Thank you for having me.
1: Absolutely. So uh, for the people that are Yankees fans on our site, you know, we cover obviously all things sports in all different realms. But we got to, you know, show a little favoritism to our Yankee supporters. But for those of you who don't know who Brian is, could you tell us who is Brian Oak?
2: Um, I, since 2007, I've covered the Yankees for MLB.com. Um, you know, I feel like I've gotten to live a dream by doing that. Um, got to see some really cool things. Uh, the closing of the old stadium, the opening of the new one, uh, World Series Championship in 2009. I was there for... Uh, the last days of Joe Torre for the entire Joe Girardi era, and now we're into the the Aaron Boone era, and so um, just, you know, kind of watching all these great players come through and covering them, being on a first-name basis with them, guys like Derek Jeter and Mariano Rivera, watching them go into Cooperstown, um, you know, Andy Pettit, Jorge Posada, just uh, really had a front-row seat to history in a lot of ways, and so it's been a, uh, a remarkable run so far in, uh in, in Yankee land. And hopefully it continues for many years to come.
0: Brian, you just mentioned you get to live a dream in many different ways, right? So let's go back to when you were younger. I, I know that taking a deep dive into your history, you were originally a Mets guy and you had some really good experiences writing for the Mets. So when you were young, what did you want to do? Maybe was it cover the Mets? Was it cover a New York baseball team? Or was this just something that you kind of fell into?
2: Yeah, it's kind of a weird story. So let's roll the clock way back. And when I'm like eight, nine years old, like I was a big Yankee fan, like Don Mattingly was my guy. Um, And then the strike hit in 94. And that kind of broke my heart. I was 12 years old at the time. And uh, really, I just kind of moved away from baseball for a little bit. And uh, a couple years later, you know, my dad was a Mets fan. My grandpa was a Brooklyn Dodgers fan. And uh, they, they, said hey you know come on let's watch some baseball let's watch the Mets a little bit uh you know they got these young pitchers coming up Jason Isringhausen, Bill Pulsiver, Paul Wilson a Generation K like the Mets are going to be really good let's watch them and, and it's 1996 and you guys know what happened so I'm in high school and 96, 98, 99, 2000 bad time to be a Mets fan in New York <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but um it kind of oh I mean You know, I started writing online as a high school freshman, um, doing, I guess, what we would call blogging today, but nobody really knew what blogs were. I mean, we're talking a dial-up internet, AOL-type internet, um, you know, way back in the day, Wild Wild West, and uh, there wasn't a Mets.com yet. There was barely an MLB.com. There was a Yankees.com, but it was pretty primitive. Anyway, so long story short, um, you know, a few weeks before I graduated high school, the Mets actually reached out to me a guy in the Mets front office reached out to me and said, hey, you know, we've read your stuff online and uh, we see, you know, you're you're covering the Mets basically. Would you have any interest in interning here at Mets.com and, and kind of seeing what things are like behind the scenes? And that took me about five milliseconds to say, yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, I think one week after I graduated high school and went to the prom and all that, I was in Shea Stadium with a press credential around my neck, you know, working for the Mets. I mean, so, Um, once I got kind of a taste of that and got to see I think that was probably a a real moment for me where I realized oh look at all these people who are doing this as careers this isn't just fun like they're doing this as a livelihood like I could maybe I could do that and um, it's not easy it's definitely not easy to break into and I saw firsthand how hard people have to work but um, I also knew that once I got that foot a little bit in the door I never wanted to let it close and so I continued to freelance and pick up opportunities and got to cover the Mets for a few years until uh, the Yankee beat came open. And um, when that, when I saw that opportunity, I just dove into it head first because I mean, what's more prestigious or what's more desirable than to cover the New York Yankees and and just to be in New York city. And um, the the thing about covering the Yankees, whether you love them or hate them, everybody cares about them.
1: That is true. That is true. (laughs) And you touched upon that moment you had where you're like, oh wow, this is a career. What was that, I would, you know, lack of a better terms, that oh shit moment for you when you started covering the Yankees. <laughs> can we say grew- that? Yeah, oh, absolutely, <laughs> <Okay>. absolutely. <laughs> you know, what was that moment for you, you know, grew up as a fan and then you're finally here, you know, being, covering the beat for the Yankees. Like, what was that moment and how do you, how can you describe that to uh, the people listening?
2: Yeah, um, I, I would say it's, it's 2007, it's the old Yankee stadium. And, you know, I I think I already mentioned, Mattingly was my guy growing up. And I think, you know, it it was, I had covered a little bit of the Yankees, you know, here and there, I'd backed up. So it wasn't my first time going to Yankee stadium, But to be on the beat every single day, walking into Yankee Stadium, being in that press bus, having a seat with my name on it, um, that was kind of mind-blowing to me. The fact that I always felt lucky to walk into that building. Like, um, we would actually park with the players. Like, we can't do that anymore. They've changed that uh, now. But, you know, I remember a few times I parked next to Roger Clemens Hummer. Like, it was crazy. I'm so uh, sorry. (laughs) I beat up Ford Mustang, but I'm pulling it in there. Um, And I'm 24 years old. And I always remember looking up, at the press gate and they had the uh, the Joe DiMaggio, uh, I'd like to thank the good Lord for making me a Yankee. And I always looked at that on the way in. I was like, this is really cool that this is where I get to work. And you know, I never want to take that for granted. And um, you know, I mentioned Mattingly and we're talking about the O-S-H-I-T moment. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I was very nervous to talk to Donnie Baseball. He was the hitting coach under Joe Torre when I came on the beat. And I remember thinking like I have this guy's poster on my wall. Like he was the man when you, when you're growing up in the 1980s, the early nineties, like we all like wanted to have the eye black on and the Franklin batting gloves and I'm lefty and he's lefty. And like, yeah, you want to play first base and be Don Mattingly. And um, so I was nervous, really nervous to talk to him because I knew that if he was a jerk, like it was going to ruin my childhood. Like I would come away with that and be like, oh, why did I talk to him? But I had to, I, I couldn't evade it forever. And I don't even remember what I needed him for. It was probably a story on some hitter working on some kind of tweak, but I cornered him in the tunnel outside the Yankee clubhouse for, I don't know, 10 minutes or so. And I came away with an all. I, well, I don't remember what he said, but I, I do remember walking away. And I walked uh, onto the field for batting practice. And I just, whew, like, thank God. Like <laughs> it, 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 he was great. I mean, his reputation perceives himself He's a gentleman, a nice guy. And I don't even know if the questions were any good, but um, I, I just remember coming away thinking like, all right, good. My childhood is intact. Don Mattingly a good guy.
0: Ryan, that's a great segue into the next question here, which is, You, even long before you covered the Yankees, you had those guys that you idolized. Donnie baseball was certainly one of them. But in your opinion, from your perspective, was there a few players that stand out that were maybe quote unquote, the best Yankees you ever covered, or maybe you have, um, you know, obviously I think the core four would probably have to stand out, but, um, maybe any players that you were, uh, that stick out in your mind that you had a really good time covering or just
2: enjoyed to write about. Yeah, the core – I mean, seeing the core four and, and getting to watch them every day and see what made them so good I think is is special because they were all so different. You know, Derek Jeter was a a, a real kind of creature of habit. Like, he would do the same thing every day. I've, I've talked in, in other interviews about he would always walk in with the same – Coffee order, the same Starbucks cup of coffee. It was a venti red eye. And he would always have that. And he would go to it, you know, he'd put the sanitary socks under over his shoulders and go to his locker and he'd look at whatever mail he has. And then he would sip that coffee. And I always kind of burned that into my mind. Like, this dude does the same thing every single day. And that's what makes him good. Like, and you look at his career, he used the same bat from when he was like an 18-year-old. He picked up a bat. Uh, his first time when he came to Tampa and Louisville slugger P 72. And he just used it for his entire career. He had 3,400 hits with that bat. Um, So that kind of blows me away about Derek and Mariano. I, what I remember about Mariano was, you know, you see him on the field and he's this, you know, you see him, you know, intense focus on, and you have to be, I mean, you're coming in with the game on the line, unflappable, but when you would see him behind the scenes, like, he was a completely different guy like he was very loose in, in the clubhouse like i remember he used to torture edward ramirez who was this uh oh, relief on the team like he was probably they used to call him the thermometer because he was tall and skinny and like mariano would beat on this guy this poor guy like he's a kid and mariano would literally like take his belt and like whip it crack it like in his ear to scare him and stuff like there was all this kind of it's like that's not the mariano rivera i see in the ninth inning like it was it a totally different Mo, Mo would take a nap and then wake up in the fourth inning and go out to the bullpen. Like he just, <laughs> you know, a, a different job. So um, to kind of get like a behind the scenes, especially with those two guys, cause they're in Cooperstown, I guess they're most prominent, but I mean, even, um, you know, more recently guys like CC Sabathia, what kind of, how he brought the clubhouse together. Like he was such a big part of that 2019 because they were kind of a fractured clubhouse. They didn't hang out a whole lot. Um, it was, it was very kind of corporate in a lot of ways. And so bringing CC in, he was kind of like the unifier, like whether you were a pitcher, a position player, whatever, uh, you could go to CC and hang out and he would bring guys to barbecues and go to, uh, you know, basketball games and stuff. Like he was, he was kind of that big teddy bear and we, we see him when he gets fired up and gets angry. Like we see the competitor there, but the four days when he wasn't pitching, he really did bring that team together, and I think that he uh, was a big part of why the Yankees were able to celebrate in two thousand nine.
1: And that's a perfect. Because what we wanted to ask next was, you know, as a Yankee fan yourself, you saw in those, you know, late nineties, early two thousands, the core four coming up and winning all of these World Series. You get it. You get the job in two thousand seven. Um, now in 2009, they're nine years removed from their last World Series, you know, right. kind of describe the atmosphere going on. I mean, you just touched upon that CC was definitely a, uh, a glue guy, per se. Um, but was there any panic at any moment that, you know, they were coming up on almost a decade of not winning a World Series after being, you know, this prestigious club, and they still are, but this prestigious club of it's World Series or bust.
2: I think the panic was in 2008 when they actually missed the playoffs in Girardi's first year. Like you've got a new manager there. Joe had some clashes with the media. He wasn't completely truthful with us. And, you know, the one thing about New York and Brian Cashman says this all the time, the one, the number one rule is don't lie. You don't have to say something. You can say no comment, but do not lie. And Joe stretched the truth. <laughs> you know, it, it, late in 2008, it was, it was particularly something about Mo going back to getting an MRI. It's really not uh, important but the, the the point is we will find out if you're lying you, and you get caught in it, it's a 100 times worse than if you just say no comment or tell the truth <laughs> i'd prefer to hear the truth but anyway um so i think that that scene and like i said that clubhouse was broken in a lot of ways there there was a kind of you could just sense it that something wasn't right and they it wasn't that they had a bunch of bad guys i'm not talking about you know the when you had the uh, the Carl Pavanos and the Tony Womacks and the Gary Sheffields with that kind of angry clubhouse where, um, guys were, you know, upset with their assignments and stuff that Jared, right. I'm, I'm thinking like the 2005 Yankees, hey, that you're, was you're a really bad clubhouse. You're, you're pushing it. This is like early, early
0: Yankee fandom yeah. for us.
2: <laughs> okay. Well, um, and they, those teams didn't win and there was a reason why I yeah. think, but, um, I I just, you could tell that something wasn't right and they needed to bring in some new blood to kind of, it was getting stale. I I think that word has been used a lot. And so um, it it kind of gave guys like Jeter and and Mo a, a shot in the arm there to kind of get you know, get the juices flowing again. So, um, but yeah, there was definitely panic. I think in 2008, there was question if Girardi was going to get fired. I mean, people were talking about that. I know we wound up doing 10 years, but um, you know, in 2008, people were like, Oh, this is not working. And this guy's not right for, for this job. And maybe they should look at somebody else. I mean, Mattingly was up for that job, but um, yeah. So yeah, I guess then, but then you get CC, you get AJ, you get Mark to Swisher comes in, you got a new stadium and you win a lot of games and suddenly that all got forgotten and swept under the rug pretty quick
0: and then now here in 2021 2009 is the last time the Yankees obviously have won a World Series championship so this might be a little bit of a stretch here but are you drawing any parallels or maybe finding anything consistent between the state of the team back in you know the preseason in 2009 and where the Yankees are at right now
2: hmm Um, you know, I mean, they, they did make the playoffs last year, so it's not like they're coming off a playoff miss, but they are coming off a year where, uh, they, they underwhelmed, underperformed. Um, they, I mean, clearly this was a team that in 2020 in spring training, we were talking about, well, they're, they're going to go to the world series and they're going to play the Dodgers. And, uh, this is a best Yankee team that on paper that I think we've seen in, in quite some time. And, uh, it just didn't work out. And, and 2020 was such a weird year for so many reasons. And, um, you know, who knows what w- would have been without the pandemic if they played 162, maybe, maybe you would have had a completely different outcome, but it turned out to be what it was. And uh, Tampa Bay proved on the field, they were the better team, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be the better team in 2021, especially you take away guys like Blake Snell and Charlie Morton. Um, you know, I, I think that the East is right back there for the Yankees, even without them doing anything so far. And, um, you know, I, I I can't believe DJ LeMahieu is still a free agent. I yeah. thought that would have been done eight weeks ago, but um, it's moving slowly and everything seems to be moving slowly this offseason. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm just mostly hopeful that spring training can start on time that opening day can start on time and we can have fans back in the building. But I think that even on paper right now um, the Yankees are not a complete team, but it's a good start to one. And, you know, Brian Cashman definitely has work to do. I'd like to see some upgrades in the starting pitching, um, you know, bringing Lemayhu would be, it would give me a lot more confidence in that infield, but um, yeah, there's work to do, but there's a lot of teams on the board who haven't accomplished, you know, San Diego side, I guess, who haven't accomplished what they set out to do yet.
1: While we're on the topic, you know, before we get more into your career, um, you know, when do you see the off season starting to, catch that spark i thought these trades with san diego would have been that catalyst to get things going but it's back to a a, a dead stall again when do you think the mlb and the yankees start making some moves
2: yeah i I mean i've been wondering that every day i every day i think today's the day and uh, (laughs) hasn't happened yet so um you know as far as the yankees go they're in a holding pattern with dj because they've identified their priority is to bring back dj as it should be and I guess the question is just who's going to blink first in this game of chicken. Like if DJ is really going to hold out for a fifth year, it doesn't seem like the Yankees want to go that far. Uh, maybe they'll go four in an option, but um, I, you know, a game of kid, uh, chicken is really a, kind of what we're looking at here. And what that does for the Yankees is um, they can't really move full force on their other needs until they find out is DJ coming back or not? Because if he doesn't come back, then that kind of opens up a whole new world of possibilities for them. If they have X number of dollars to spend and suddenly DJ may, who's not getting that 25 million a year contract, well then go after Trevor Bauer. Like, I mean, everything, nothing is off limits then um, I I think so. You know, I'm sure that they've kind of planned out every single contingency there, but I think that if they do get DJ back, it might be a quiet offseason for the Yankees. Maybe you wind up re-signing a Tanaka or, um, you know, maybe a Taiwan Walker, somebody like that for the back end of the rotation. But um, if you don't get them, then let's get crazy. Let's just throw everything at the wall. And, um, you know, they've got money to spend. That's the one thing about the Steinbrenners. They always like to put that money that comes off the books back into the team. And uh, you've got DJ coming off. You've got Tanaka uh, Jay Happ, James Paxton, that's a lot of salary there. There's a lot of room to play with. And even though the Yankees lost a lot of money uh, last year, you know, they say they've lost more than every other team. You still got to put a team on the field. And, um, you know, Brian Cashman says they're going to have the highest payroll in 2021, but they're not there yet. Well, he
0: certainly might be bought out by Steve Cohen, too, or beat out, <laughs> I should say, because the the comments that he's been making, he's saying basically, you know, any it's not about how do we get more with less it's about how do we get more with spending our money right so yeah. that's a concept that's so foreign to Mets fans right now unfortunately and something that I think we've been spoiled with as Yankee fans
2: I'm happy to see it because Met fans I feel like they just deserved better than the Wilpon ownership oh, I mean yeah. for so yeah. long um there it's just it was this hangover that never went away with the Madoff stuff especially and they were just kept hanging on and hanging on and and doing as much as they could with really operating their team. Like it was in a small market because that's all they could do. They were on a shoestring budget and um, you know, to be in New York city and to have that gorgeous city field, which I really like it's grown on me. Um, You know, it's, it's a good place to watch a game. Um, Yeah. Mets fans, Yankee fans, I feel like they deserve to have two competitive teams. And, And let's be honest, New York baseball is always better when both teams are competitive you know, it it always seems like there's been one up, one down in a lot of ways. And when you have the subway series and um, the the Yankees come in and they just beat up the Mets in three straight games, I mean, it's kind of fun, I guess, for the fans to watch, but it's not really compelling must see TV. And so I am hoping that someday we'll see another subway series like we did in 2000. Cause I got to be there at, at Shea stadium with that final out, that final game where, uh, you know, Piazza hits the fly ball to Bernie Williams and just everybody in New York talked about baseball all day. Like I can't really describe what it was like to be there for that, except like it was the only thing that mattered in New York. And so I would love to see that again, where the Mets and Yankees are both on top and both great at the same time.
1: During your career, um, are there any games that for you stand out that you got to cover that were like, wow, like, I'm thankful to be here and let alone be able to write about this and share that story? Is there anything that like sticks out in mind? I mean, for me, it's like probably uh, a Derek Jeter's you know, 3,000 hit or, you know, the final game where CC throws the ball and loses out on that bonus because he's just fired up, you know, stuff like that. But is it, it could be a big game. It could be a small game. Is there anything that's,
2: they I mean, did BC pay C- him so. that bonus by the way they fifty grand later. So um, yeah, he didn't lose out, but yeah, so many. I, and to me, I think it's a historic moments. Um, you know, the, the last night at Yankee stadium, the original Yankee stadium, just kind of seeing like I, in my mind's eye, I see Yogi Berra standing behind the plate and that kind of like, like, yellowed out uniform and um, that was such a cool memory to be there for that and to like you know be on the scene in the ballpark because we got there really early that day I think the gates opened at, like one o'clock for an eight o'clock game like it was I remember walking around the warning track and they let all the fans walk the warning track too and I just remember seeing like people would put their hands in the warning track dirt and put a handprint on the wall by like the 314 sign and stuff and it was just really cool it was kind of like just to be a part of that and seeing uh, everybody saying goodbye to an old friend or a member of the family, really, it was kind of kind of special. And the game meant nothing. The Yankees weren't going to the playoffs and um, the building was closing. But um, th- that was an emotional day to be there. You know, I, I think about the new stadium opening up uh, the All-Star game at the old stadium was cool to be there for. But, you know, I think, you know, Jeter's final hit in his final game at Yankee Stadium, uh, the game where they took Mariano out and, uh, you know, Andy and Derek made the pitching change. I mean, I could just go on and on all day. But I think, you know, my, my, my number one moment, I think, covering this team has to be uh, game six of the 2009 World Series, because that was a, I mean, you're obviously they were going to win the World Series and Matt Matsui had a ridiculous uh I just went off with six RBIs, but I remember thinking somewhere around the sixth or seventh inning, like looking up at the scoreboard and saying, the Yankees are going to win the World Series tonight, and you're going to write the story about it. Like, that's insane. Uh, that's just, um, you know, no pressure, right? <laughs> um, and, uh, but to, to be with that team from February 12 or whatever, all the way through flying Going where they go, staying in hotels, watching them on the West coast and everything, uh, getting to, you know, talk to them through their ups and downs, getting to know these guys and being really along for the ride, being a fly on the wall in a lot of ways. Um, that was pretty, pretty intense to to see that final out Shane Victorino hits the ground ball to Robbie Cano. He throws to Mark Teixeira and the Yankees are back on top 27 time world champions. Like that is just burned in my mind. And, um, you know, until they win another one, I guess that'll have to be the top moment.
0: Yeah. I think we kind of just realized that it's a little unfair to ask a a Yankee beat writer to recount 14 years worth of memories, (laughs) which is (laughs) the best one. It's a lot.
2: It's a, I mean, that's the great thing about the Yankees. They always say Yankee years are like dog years. You know, it's like seven years packed into one because there's so much that happens and there's so much noise and attention around the Yankees, but it's compelling. It's good drama. It's fun. Like the, the times, there have been few times, I mean, they've never had a losing season while I've been on the beat, but the few times that they're not competitive, it's not a whole lot of fun. Um, but luckily, the Yankees are usually competitive, and they're usually right there in the mix to, uh, to go to the postseason. And that's, that's really when the fun starts, when, when uh, they go in the postseason, you know, in a non-COVID year, they can spray champagne. And then, you know, um, let, let's see who can get there first and, and get back to the top.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, that's another way that Yankee fans are spoiled for sure. Those years that they're not competitive uh, are definitely low. So that's something to be thankful for. Want to dive into your books now to date. So um, the two Yankee books that have been real hits among Yankee fans have you written, Mission 27, A New Boss, A New Ballpark, and One Last Ring for the Yankees' Core Four, and The Baby Bombers, The Inside Story of the Next Yankees' Dynasty. While you were writing these books, was there any big findings or surprises that you uh that stick out in mind for you um i would definitely be interested to hear this baby bombers um you know kind of what the the angle was for you to get to know more about these guys and where they'd fit into the grand scheme but what what's surprised you from all this
2: yeah definitely that to go back to baby bombers that was my first book and and that started in 2017 and a publisher approached me like writing a book was kind of an abstract idea. It was like, yeah, I'd like to do that. Kind of like skydiving. Like, yeah, I'd like <laughs> to do that someday, but I didn't really have a plan to do it. And a publisher came to me and said, Hey, you know, this, who's this Aaron judge guy? Uh, you know, he seems to be a compelling story. Can we, can we do a book on him, like a biography? And I kicked that around for a little bit. And I'm thinking about how I would do a biography of judge. And I said, you know, guys, there's a really big, bigger story here to tell. And it's really, how the Derek Jeter Yankees are giving way to this new generation of guys like Aaron judge, Gary Sanchez, Luis Severino, Greg Bird was big at the time. Um, you know, later Glaber Torres, Luke Voigt, like these kind of uh, names were coming in and not necessarily guys you'd heard of before. It wasn't like the Yankees of old where they just go sign another free agent who's been around the league for 10 years. And so that was the special part about that 2017 season in particular was that these kids are coming to the, on the big league scene, they're getting a chance to play for the Yankees, which doesn't always happen. And they're, they're exceeding. And so, you know, judge wins the home run derby and he's hits 52 home runs and he's the American league rookie of the year. And he's kind of this superhero in baseball uniform wearing 99 on his back. And um, to dig into their background a little bit, that was the fun part of that book for me is, is chasing down, you know, people who taught them in high school or coached them or, or scouted them and, Um, You know, there's a story in there about Luis Severino and he goes to a tryout camp in the Dominican Republic and he's sick as a dog. He's got the flu, you know, fever of 103. And, you know, he's out there throwing bullets. He's throwing 93, 94. And the scout is watching him, the guy who signed him. And every half inning, he's going back in the dugout and just blowing chunks. Like he is just (laughs) just, he's sick, man. But then he goes back out and he's just attacks the hitters again and they said this is a guy we signed this is a guy we're going to sign they offered him a contract there right on the spot like he signed it on the dugout bench and so uh, just to kind of get kind of behind the scenes stories of that you know the stories from you know judge who was always one of the tallest kids like you don't get to be six seven by accident like in little league when he would come to the plate some of the teams didn't let their infielders play like they moved them back to the outfield because they feared for their safety like and so um you know I kind of get that like I wouldn't want to stand 45 feet from Aaron Judge either and when he's uh when he's swinging the bat so um, just to kind of get some of those like kind of we all see the highlights we all kind of we we can watch the 500 foot home run but to know the kind of backstory and know uh, some of the trials and tribulations that brought these guys uh, to the majors. That was really fun.
1: And now you have your newest uh, installment, which will be dropping June of 2021. Uh, the Bronx zoom inside the New York Yankees, most bizarre season. Can you give us a preview of what to expect? Maybe uh, also just describe your season as well I mean like you mentioned 2020 was a weird year in so many different ways uh, I couldn't imagine what it was like being an actual you know reporter that gets to follow these teams every day but now has to do it kind of um, remotely remotely or like <laughs> distanced wise like can you give us a, a
2: little insight on that it was the strangest experience I think of my life just covering that team and Um, Yeah, a lot of that is in the book. Some of it's the behind the scenes stuff. A lot of it's the on field stuff. But I wanted to tell the stories because this was not an easy year for anybody associated with baseball i mean it wasn't a year for anybody in the world um but you know um it started out like such a normal baseball season and i don't i'm kind of recounting what you guys already know but the yankees go sign garrett cole to this huge money contract and he's gonna he's the toast of the town and he comes into spring training and everything is garrett cole garrett cole garrett cole and then march 12 happens and the world just stops and you know talked to a lot of the guys about what they were doing when um, when that all happened you know if you remember the NBA shut down the Rudy Gobert thing happened and uh, the next day baseball shut down and the Yankees just kind of were frozen in time here they were in Tampa and um, you know, at first, I don't think anybody really understood the scope of what was going to happen. You know, so many of the guys I talked to said they figured, all right, this will be like a week or 10 days and we'll be right back after it. You know, even Aaron Boone told me, you know, um, he was he was an active player for 9-11. And so he remembers waking up in Chicago. They were in there. His Reds were in Chicago and he was watching on TV. And 10 days later, he's back on the field playing for Cincinnati. And it was kind of like that's what he expected it to be. And it was anything but that. Um, I think that, you know, when the players got back to Steinbrenner Field, they all had a meeting. Uh, Hal Steinbrenner came down in the clubhouse and said, as long as you want to stay here, you know, Steinbrenner Field is the safest place. We're going to do, we're going to sanitize it. We're going to make sure everything is fine and we're going to get back to playing baseball. And two days later, some of the guys on the minor league side start testing positive. And at that time, we had no idea what that meant. Like, are they going to be in the hospital? Are they going to live? Like, there was so much uncertainty. And I think there was fear and there was real fear and panic at that time. And so um, after that, then the guys started to scatter. Some of them stay stuck around, you know, Judge Stanton, uh, DJ LeMayhew did, but a lot of them just kind of packed up their cars and got the heck out of town. And, um, you know, Tampa was the numbers in Florida were going up. And, um, you know, I think that, you know, this, the book will kind of take you through that entire season where the guys are, and trying to stay in touch, they're playing video games against each other. They're you know, texting. You know, hey, are we gonna play? Like, are we gonna play? Because I got bills to pay. I, I need to. I need to get back on the field. There was a big battle between MLB and the MLBPA, and and finally, they get back going again. But they're not. It's not in Florida, and it was just kind of a curveball to, to then have summer camp or spring training 2.0 at Yankee Stadium and everything that was involved in that. I mean, the daily spit tests, everything, you know, it just got a lot of guys to tell me about what was really happening behind the scenes. Like they were all spaced out. It, it, and, and my main takeaway from it was that so many people said what a hard year it was. And I, 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 I made sure to ask everybody, <clears throat> was it fun? Like, was it, what fun did you have playing? And they did, they, you know, the Yankees were good about in, in the hotels, these guys obviously couldn't go out, they couldn't go out to bars or restaurants. So the Yankees were really good about setting up rooms in every hotel where um, they would have prepackaged food waiting for them. They also had games where they could play, you know, table tennis or papa shot or, or arcade games and, and just stuff to like, so they weren't miserable sitting in their rooms 22 hours a day, staring at their cell phones like these guys, they were all kind of in it together. In a lot of ways, it was the closest any yankee team has been because they had no choice they couldn't they couldn't really see their friends or family or anything like that so um, a completely different tone than my other two books which uh you know um were were more of baseball and this is kind of like baseball in a pandemic with black lives matter protests happening with you know racial justice and a, and this crazy presidential election going on it's just I think when you read it, you're going to say, wow, I can't believe that all happened in 2020. What a what a nuts year. And hopefully, like I wrote in the book, it was an insane year and hopefully we never have to do it again.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I certainly agree. That will be one that I'm definitely going to add to my list because I think that's um... – <clears throat> This is like so bizarre. And like Will just alluded to, I mean, I can't imagine having to go through what the press pool had to this year. So good on you. Hey, you wrote a book too out of all this stuff. So that's a productive 2020 if you ask me. But um, June 2021, is that going to be out on Amazon or anywhere else uh, readers can find that in the next couple months?
2: Amazon, Barnes and Noble, wherever you can buy books. It's uh, being published by Triumph. So yeah, no, and don't worry, I'll be tweeting a bunch about it, I'm sure love it
0: so let's get into some fun stuff now so awesome we're poking around your website and you're a self-proclaimed lover of a few different things <laughs> vintage tops okay. cards ron yeah. burgundy quotes good bourbon and compelling games so we're gonna go one by one here what's okay. the best top i don't card even remember
2: you've... writing that but I, I sure <laughs> it sounds like me so yeah
0: <laughs> what's the best tops card you've ever pulled off hand is there a baseball Ooh. card that sticks out that you might have in your collection
2: Yeah. My favorite tops card is probably a 1980, uh, Ricky Henderson rookie card. Oh, nice. That's probably my favorite one. Although, you know, Oh man, this is tough because I, I was at a card show and I found like a beat up, like beat to hell, 1969 Reggie Jackson rookie card. And I, they $5 and like, it was creased and it's really beat up, but I do love that card too, because Mm -hmm. that's a card with a story behind it. And so, it's probably worth nothing but to me it is and so um that you know until I get the mantle rookie card you know it's got (laughs) to pop up sooner or later right but um the favorite card I ever pulled there used to be a company called the Ted Williams card company you guys may not remember this it was somewhere in the mid 90s probably around 94 and I remember opening up a pack of that and in the middle of it is a Ted Williams autograph card. Uh, oh, wow. It was number six out of four hundred six, and like so, there's only four hundred six of them in the world. I've got number six, and I'm not parting with it for any price. So, well, actually, I shouldn't say any price. <laughs> Send <laughs> me a DM if you're really, there's really interested price. in it. Yep, there's, a, there is, what, what a, you price? know what? There is always a price, but um, it is priceless to me. And so that's kind of I remember bringing that home and like throwing it right in a big thick sheet of plastic. And so yeah, that's probably the prize of my collection. Awesome.
1: Well, now let's head to Ron Burgundy, your favorite Ron Burgundy quote.
2: (sighs) Probably. uh, I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. People. (laughs) I'm friends with Merlin Olsen. He comes over on occasion. (laughs) Like, you know, I don't know, whatever, something like that. I mean, that's just that that movie is one of my all time favorites. It's just eminently quotable. I think a, a
0: slept on quote from the anchorman franchise is when he's talking to Baxter, his dog and uh-huh. you know, Baxter will bark at him. He just goes, Oh, Baxter, you know, I don't speak Spanish. You know, I don't
2: speak Spanish and English. <laughs> <please>. <laughs> that is you, you ate, you, you ate it, the whole wheel of cheese and you it <laughs> in the refrigerator. That's amazing. I'm not even mad. Like, Yeah. Cause
0: <laughs> I'm not even mad. That's impressive.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I probably watched anchorman during quarantine. Like, five or six times (laughs) yeah well there was a stretch
0: so so we're roommates here brian and in march you know that was when i mean we were sitting around really doing nothing so we're like all right you know we've so much time we're gonna watch like every will ferrell movie ever made and we ripped through the anchorman franchise so quickly and so frequently it's just incredible
2: i gotta tell you a story before we move on i did get to meet will ferrell wow Uh, he was at the 2010 all-star game in anaheim and he was there i guess he was promoting something maybe it was the other guys or some one some movie after anchorman and i got to interview him like very briefly wow. it was like a maybe a five minute interview and he was funny but i remember coming away almost disappointed because it's like man i wanted to talk to ron burgundy and that was just <laughs> will ferrell and like that's not fair he must get that all the time and like you know i, I, I kind of that's probably what it's like to be an actor everybody wants you to be oh, yeah. your characters but I remember I even teed him up on something. I was like, so if Ron Burgundy was here right now, what do you think he would say? Oh, <laughs> and he said something. It was, I mean, but um, it, was co- it was cool to meet Will Ferrell and he was he was a nice guy. But I remember thinking it would have been cool to meet Ron too.
0: It's incredible. And
2: that's,
0: hey, maybe you sparked Will Ferrell's interest to go suit up a couple of years later in spring training. You're you right.
2: Did. Yeah. Wow. I, I didn't even realize that. Who, yeah. by the way, and then he got a bunch of tops baseball cards. So now we've gone... Back to yeah. the first question. We're checking yeah. off all of boxes. That was actually. I'd right? like to get about one about of those. That. I don't have one.
1: Yeah, that was a really cool. When he flew, what was it? Nine teams and like like, that. <laughs> like I in think the Arizona, he was,
0: right? He went to eight separate teams, right? Was it one, four he had games? Like a
2: helicopter and landed yeah. in the center field. Yeah, it was they cool. kept like
1: he would switch jerseys in the in the dugout, just like and played like every. That position. is absurd. I yeah. let funny? him do that. That was funny. <laughs>
2: Now, I was there the day, it, it wasn't a Yankee thing, obviously, with Will Farrell, because it was Arizona, but I was there the day, the day they had Billy Crystal play in oh, an yeah. actual game, lead off, and I remember thinking, like, I mean, he's 60 years old, like, this is not fair, and he actually damned if he didn't hit a pitch, like, I think it was the 1-0 pitch, he got a fastball down in the middle, and he actually got some good wood on it, he hit a ground ball at first base, and he just... Damn near missed hitting a double down the right field line, and I was like, "Damn, Billy Crystal can play a little bit." And he struck out, of course. But um, I, I still remember that day. It was against the Pirates and Paul Mahome, the left-handed pitcher. I think he threw him a breaking ball on one two. He was like, "All right, enough of you. Get out of here."
0: <laughs> <laughs> so who is the? I need to ask because you are also a Yankee Fantasy Camp alumni too. So right, and so it was Billy Crystal. Times. So yeah, so who's the better Yankee Fantasy Camp player? Was it you or Billy? <laughs>
2: You know what? Probably Billy. At least he wow. didn't hurt himself out there. <laughs> oh, I've hurt myself on the field one too many times. So um, probably Billy.
0: But you did get a hit off Jeff Nelson, right?
2: I did. Yeah. And that, and Oh, would you like me to tell a story about <laughs> I mean, I we're not asking. He's a hard
0: body. hitting, hard, thrown, so, uh, hard um, from
2: big righty, man. One of the fun things about fantasy camp is like just kind of getting that time to bs with the players like hey the games are really fun and i don't want to take away from that but a lot of it is just kind of hanging out being with the guys like and i feel like that's a real window into what the baseball world is and um because these guys have so much downtime to hang out obviously in a non-covid year so the night before that i had i I happened to be at the hotel bar with nelly and i said to him and we knew each other a little bit because he did some work for mlb.com he's he's been on the media side too um so i said hey you know, if I get to face you, do not let up. Like, I want, I want you to throw me (laughs) my best. Like I want to, I don't just lay in a like 60 mile an hour cookie. Like I want to see it. And it was like, all right, fine. And then, so fast forward to the next day at the end of the week, once you're done playing the campers, you play in like a, I I guess they call it a legends game or something, but it's you against the former major leaguers. And, you know, I I'm coming up to the batter's box and there's Jeff Nelson on the mound. I said, all right, great. (laughs) I dig in. And I'm kind of thinking, all right, he's going to throw me a cookie. Like, I've seen what he's thrown everybody else. Like, he's throwing me these easy, like, first pitch comes in, it's, <laughs> I was like, whoa, okay, that's legit. And um, the second pitch, I think I fouled it off. I think I fouled it back to the screen. And then on 0-2, he throws me a slider, the Jeff Nelson slider. And I I swear to you, I closed my eyes, and kind of that ass out swing, just like, ah, <laughs> like, it was bad. And Somehow I hit it, soft flare over the second baseman in the right field. It was a single, I will take it, a uh, single off Jeff Nelson. But, yeah, I definitely closed my eyes and just hoped for the best and clink, got enough of it somehow.
0: Hey, the scorebook says it's a single. It doesn't matter how you it's got a, it. It looks like
2: a line drive in the box score, right? That's <laughs> it's like it. A little, like, soft dying flare in the right center field. Oh, man.
1: <laughs> so, I mean, after that hit, you probably def- definitely had yourself a drink or two so
2: (laughs) i think so that was uh like i remember going to first base i was like wow i can't believe that happened that was cool
1: (laughs) so tell us what's your favorite bourbon selection
2: Uh, you know my my go-to is maker's mark like i'm Mm. a big bourbon guy i didn't used to be i used to be more of a beer guy but um i I guess i'm more refined now in my (laughs) old age so i if you know if we're out to dinner or something oh remember that remember going to restaurants and going out that was a thing yeah Oh, those were the days, right? Um, Yeah, like I'll order a Maker's Mark and a big steak and like a Manhattan. And yeah, that's probably my go-to. If I am ever on death row and I get one final meal, that's probably what I'll do.
0: Glass of Maker's Mark and a steak. You heard it here first. Hopefully you're not ever in that situation.
2: (laughs) Maybe (laughs) Um, I can just go to a restaurant again someday. Yeah, there you go. That's,
0: man, man, oh man, we can only hope. Um, And then the last thing you had listed on your website is you're a fan of compelling games. I want to yeah. know what the best compelling game that comes to mind for you is.
2: Um, you know, I realized that um, that sounds kind of like I'm talking about Monopoly or something, but uh, <laughs> I didn't mean like board games. I meant like, Oh, so you meant, lo- you mean
0: like good sports games then? I
2: mean like a good baseball game. <laughs> like don't give me any of these 10 to one blowouts where Fair. I'm writing my game story by the sixth inning. Like, um, you know, and be careful what you wish for because part of like the, the behind the scenes, you know, you don't want to know how the sausage is made, but we're writing as the game is going. And so I need to have something that can be filed at the final out. And so like, I'm really writing in the seventh inning, the eighth inning. I'm, I'm kind of hoping whoever's winning in the top of the eighth will hang on because otherwise I'm going to have to shred it and start over. And so the the one that comes to my mind though, is the Jeter final game because there were so many weird twists and turns in that game. I probably wrote that story like nine times because if you remember, like Derek had, I think it was like a double early in the game. And it was like, wow, Derek got a double in his last game. What a story, like great. <laughs> and then Dave Robertson uh, blows the save and it looks like they're gonna lose. And it's like, oh crap. Let's rewrite that entire story. Yep. And now the Yankees lost in Derek Jeter's final game. What a tragedy. <laughs> and
0: then far from uh, it,
2: <laughs> Derek comes in and gets the big hit and, and wins the game and sends home uh, Richardson with the, the go ahead run. I just remember thinking when that happened, like I looked at whoever was standing, there, sitting next to me, and I thought, how does he do it? How does he do it every single time? Like he writes the perfect story. And all you have to do is just write what Derek does. And so, um yeah that that kind of sticks out in my mind just a a compelling game maybe they're not all that um compelling i guess maybe not that many twists and turns but just give me a good ball game to watch and let me tell a good story because um you know that's what we're here for right we want to we want to be entertained and that's when uh that's when the story has become legendary. And that's why I'm on a podcast talking to you about a game that happened seven years ago.
0: <laughs> I would love to see the archived Brian Hoke story that just with the headline of Dave Robertson, like forever, um, forever in Yankee infamy, right? <laughs> that yeah. I remember looking at my dad. I was on the couch with my dad watching that game. I go, I, I, I'm i not going to say it. I said some bad stuff, but <laughs> I was... um very angry with him. And I think all, all those Yankee fans felt the same way that day. So I, I can't imagine what was possibly going through the possible headlines and uh, of, of the entire yeah, but, pool. I mean, we know?
2: just saw it. I mean, even more recently now with, you know, Chapman. Yeah. Why does it, why does the season always end with Chapman? Like yeah. <laughs> Craziness. Oh. Um, so I've definitely written some different versions. Some uh, maybe that's the next book. We can do um, the alternate outcomes where Chapman <laughs> gets the final out and the Yankees go to the American League Championship Series. And I don't know. We'll see. Twenty twenty one should be a, a fun year. Hopefully we get a full one.
1: Yes, let's hope. Uh, before we close out, so you've had an incredible career. You've written a lot of amazing Thank stories. You but there's someone on your tail catching up with you as uh, someone who might be a better reporter, and that is your daughter.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: So. She already is
2: better. She, <laughs> she's much better on camera and everything.
1: So Penny uh, has been killing it on social media, your social media, of course, uh, during the quarantine and during the season. How cool is that to see, you know, your daughter being able to, uh, you know, cover the Yankees in some, you know, some sort of way, uh, just, like, just like her dad.
2: It's been fun and like she's, she's four now. So um, she's kind of at the age where she's starting to get it a little bit and understand what's going on. And that's been fun to um, watch her show interest in what daddy does. And like, because, you know, we always have the Yankees on in the house and it's been on as long as she's been alive. It's just the Yankees are always on and daddy goes to the baseball game. But now I think she's starting to understand more of the ins and outs and uh, kind of, I guess, the storyline of a season. And but, I mean, mostly it's just been fun to watch her enthusiasm and kind of, um, you know, she'll just, she'll come and ask me, you know, who are they playing today? Or, you know, are we doing another video? When can we do another video? And it's like, um, we don't want to burn her out. We don't <laughs> make her do every day, but um, I definitely want to continue it because she's um, she's definitely got the personality for it. And she's, she enjoys being on camera. It's not like pulling teeth. I mean, she, she's got that kind of, personality where she wants to be center stage and she wants to um you know have the lights on her so it's it's been fun to just kind of see it. i mean my wife is the the brains behind that operation connie connie uh, came up with the idea just to do it once just to see what would happen and then there was so much kind of an outpouring of this is great like this is just what we needed in 2020 because this year has sucked and like this made me smile and just to hear that to hear that people enjoy it and it makes them laugh or smile like well, that's, that's reason enough to keep doing it. So do you do the editing or does your wife do it? Connie does everything. I, I literally, what I do is I post it. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I'm not, I'm not the best with that stuff. Like I guess I could learn, I could be better and add that to my toolkit, but she, she's an all-star at that. So yeah, no, Connie's the MVP of this year. That's awesome. So let's,
1: let's get Penny a ring. Every, yeah, every kid ring. every kid deserves uh, a Yankees world series in their childhood I'm feeling 2021 is going to be that year we're going to let's
2: hope. Yeah, that would be great. Otherwise I'm going to have to keep buying ring pops. So (laughs) I may have to do that anyway.
0: Yeah. Yeah. yeah, That's probably going to be there regardless. (laughs) But so um, Brian, before we let you go, what's next for you? I I almost think that's an unfair question with someone that clearly is passionate about their work. Like you are, and that gets to cover the 27 time champion, you know, New York Yankees, but Do you see yourself doing this, uh, you know, for the foreseeable future, anything else that you want to accomplish in these next few years? Um, And then any more new books in the pipeline too?
2: Well, I don't want to say like, no, I'm done. And I, I'm good here. And like, let's just, (laughs) let's plateau forever. So yeah, of course I'd like to go on to bigger and better things, but, I don't know how mu- you get much bigger and better than covering the New York Yankees in New York city. Like, uh, this is a, a, it's definitely a dream job and I don't take it for granted. Um, you know, like I said earlier, I still remember walking in a Yankee stadium and, and looking up at that DiMaggio quote saying, you know, I'd like to thank the good Lord for making me a Yankee. And I think about that. I, I'd like to thank the good Lord for making me a Yankee beat writer and to just kind of, um, be on the coattails here and, and to witness history. And, um, look, it, it, it's been an incredible ride that I never would have anticipated. And I'm sure like, as the girls get a little older, maybe I'll want to spend more time at home as of right now, though, the way things have gone, I'm, I'm itching to get back to travel. Like I would love the idea of getting back on a you know West coast road trip and flying with the Yankees and staying in a hotel again, stuff that I haven't done since March 11. So, um, the world will get back to normal and hopefully covering baseball will get back to normal. But um, I, I guess that's probably what I hope is next. Um, and, you know, I, I'm hoping to do this for many more years. And so, um, you know, until Penny's ready to take my job, in which case, <laughs> then I'll uh, be down out. to the old folks home and I can just hang out at, at Steinbrenner Field. Maybe I can work the elevator there.
1: <laughs> awesome. Well, Brian, one last thing. Any piece of advice you have for aspiring writers, journalists, sports personalities, anything that you can share with them uh, that can help them get to that next level?
2: I would say like the the one piece of advice I usually give is to just read as much as you can, uh, write as much as you can, obviously, too. If you want to be a writer or be on camera, be podcasting like you guys, um, you're doing what uh, you need to do, like, you gotta, you need those reps. And it's like anything else. It's like hitting a fastball. It's like, you know, hitting a jump shot from the three-point line. Like, uh, the more you do it, the better you're going to get at it. And, um, you know, I, I think that reading and learning a, as much as you can about a variety of topics is very important. Um, you don't want to be so kind of tunnel-visioned in on, say, baseball, where you're kind of closing yourself off to everything that's going on. Because, you know, journalists, a uh, big part of it is just knowing what's going on in the world around you so you can ask relevant questions. So I feel like um, being well-rounded is is important, um, but definitely, um, you know, just in terms of I'm a writer, so I'm thinking of it in writing terms, but um, read as many different styles as you can, as many different writers, as many different kind of sources, books, magazines, newspapers, the back of a shampoo bottle, like whatever. Uh, it's all good because it'll it'll help tell you what you wanna be like, it'll give you ideas of the styles that you want to do. But almost as importantly, it shows you the stuff that is bad and that you don't wanna replicate. And it, like, cause how many times have we read books or, or a magazine article? And it's like, wow, that's not good at all. Like, But look at that then and be like, why is it bad? And then so, um, yeah, or why is it good? Like for me, Tom Verducci is a guy who I read and I'm just like blown away when I read like what he writes for Sports Illustrated. and. Um, I just, Jack Curry was another one at the New York times. He does a little bit now still on yes. Network and Jack on camera is great. I I try to watch a lot of the people who I think are really good and um, you know, try to take a little bit. It's okay to steal a little bit, especially when we're uh, talking about, you know, Hey, how does he do it? Like, you know, uh, I could get better at that. And it it gives you an idea of stuff to work on. So I guess um, my, my answer, my long rambling answer there would just be to, your eyes open to try and understand what's going on in the world around you and um you know mostly when you get opportunities to be positive be that guy that um they want to keep coming at you and give you the assignments because even if they're not the assignments you want right now um that's how you get to the good ones is to be that kind of guy that they say oh we can count on him he'll do a good job at this and so um you know i've always tried to do that whether it's uh you know, covering some community event that I got sent to the last minute or I'm covering the World Series. You just want to do the best you can every single day.
0: Simple advice, but so many layers to it. And that's what I think makes it so effective. So Brian, thanks so much. Before we let you go, where can our listeners find you on social media? How can they engage with your content?
2: I'm on Twitter at Brian Hoke, B-R-Y-A-N-H-O-C-H. I'm on Facebook too. And of course, um, you know, my day job is writing for yankees.com. So uh, you go on there. That's uh, hopefully everything that's going on with the New York Yankees. And hopefully we get more going on with the New York Yankees in uh, a day or a week or so. Absolutely. Well, Brian,
1: thank you so much. Happy new year. We appreciate uh, you coming on and sharing your, uh, your knowledge and your stories. And uh, we are excited to follow along your content this season and for seasons to come mm-hmm. and uh, enjoy your time at home as well. Thanks Talk to Brian. Soon. Awesome. Thanks guys. Take care. Thanks for having me. And that was just Ryan Hoke, MLB.com, Yankees beat reporter. Great interview. Great way to start the 2021 season of Beers, Business, and Balls. Uh, Even though, you know, not all of our listeners are Yankees fans, the guy is just passionate about baseball. Um, For those Yankee fans out there, we hope you enjoy this. And even if you aren't, you know, just people that enjoy the sport of baseball, um, people that are trying to get into journalism and writing and, the sports media world it's just a great great person to talk to super personable has a lot of great stories and it was it was fun listening and talking to someone that you grew up reading you know that's one of the things that although the goal of this podcast is to share those stories with you um, on the, end the other end of the microphone we fangirl a little bit because talking to a guy like that who I've been reading his work for years I mean some of the first yankees articles that i read online were from brian so that was a very cool experience and uh we we
0: were very very thankful to have him on i agree with everything you just said so i won't repeat any of it but yeah i mean the man's experience speaks for itself i thought it was really interesting that he started as a mets guy and he his avenue into this industry was all right i'm gonna just fuck around and make a mets blog and And here he is. He gets a chance to cover the New York Yankees. I mean, that's every reporter's dream. And I do like, at the very end of the interview, we asked him what's next, right? And it's almost unfair because it's like, it's your current job and you get to cover the, (laughs) one of the most famed sports teams ever. I mean, that's, that's incredible. Where do you go from there? Unless it's like an executive job, right? So, awesome interview really grateful to brian for coming on the show we know he's a busy guy he's got a well he doesn't have a lot of off season to cover because there's jack shit going on right now so (laughs) hopefully that'll change by the time this drops i i hope that's the problem we have but alas on to football playoff week one wild card round is over will tondo what was your biggest surprise from last week's wild card round Biggest surprise. Um,
1: I mean, I would have said the Browns, but I had the Browns winning. I thought that <laughs> story was there. You know, you beat the, you beat the Steelers, your rivals, your, your, your big brother bullies in week 17. Your coach goes out with COVID. You have a new offensive line. It's the first time the Browns have been in the playoffs in two decades. I had them winning, so I didn't have that as a surprise. I didn't think it was going to be a total ass kicking. Yeah. But I would have to say my biggest surprise was probably the Seahawks losing to the Rams. Mm. Um, I mean, Jared Goff coming in, Sean McVay's that mastermind coach. The defense was just hot. I did not think Seattle was going to lose that game. I think it could have been a different story if the 12 was there and they had fans. Unfortunately, that wasn't the case. But Russell Wilson looked, looked off. And it's one of those things where, you know, the Seahawks haven't been in the Super Bowl in a minute. They make the playoffs every year. They're a very good team. Uh, kind of not inconsistent during the regular season, but you're going to get 10 to 12 wins out of them, maybe up to 13 or 14. And then the playoffs come, and it's like, where do you go from there? You kind of traded away part of your future. You get Jamal Adams, who everyone's kind of giving shit on, but he's a safety that had 10 sacks. You know, you're you're getting you're getting kind of like a hybrid linebacker out of him, but you also just traded the Jets two first round picks in the third. So, I don't know. I mean, Russell Wilson, clearly he was having an MVP season up until that one egg he threw. Uh, It might have been against the Giants. Well, he had a bad game against the Giants, but I don't think that was the game that was his turning point. DK Metcalf's a phenomenal, phenomenal receiver. Uh, You're not a big Pete Carroll guy, but he's still at one of the top coaches. Can't
0: stand him. Yeah, he is. He's good. I just can't stand him.
1: So, it's like one of those things. It's like, what does Seattle do? What does Seattle need? You don't really see them having a glaring hole, but they weren't that good to make it to the next round.
0: It's expert analysis. I think the Rams, I don't know how the hell they won that game. I don't. And it was probably because the fans weren't in the building, to be honest with you. We'd be lying to ourselves if, that, if we said that didn't play an impact. And they just showed up. They showed up and they they got it done.
1: I thought one of the weirdest things, though, is that they had John Woodford, uh
0: yeah.
1: He he started the game, but they had Jared Goff dressed. So it's like was Jared Goff really not ready to to play that game if he wasn't gonna Well, be- the
0: goal was I guess he Sean McVay was being very secretive about their plan beforehand and I think he was always going to come in. And then obviously John Wolford took a, a he got drilled in the first quarter, so it's kind of like all right, well, you know, it's Goff now or nothing, right? So I don't know. Um so I'll I'll give my biggest surprise now. Um man, I think you, will you just talked about the the Browns and Steelers, but I mean that's that's it for me. I think Mike Florio made a, a very interesting point to start off the pregame and he basically said the Steelers or excuse me, the Browns are about to find out how hard it is to win a game without your head coach calling the place. And I was like, yeah, you know, I agree with Florio Steelers by like, you know, 20, right? Um, thankfully, I put my money on the Browns, <laughs> like one, but it's like, that. that's that's absurd the fact that they won that game without most of their starters actually not most of their offensive starters but they had like a to my knowledge was it a new offensive line or something like that I don't really know yeah I mean Um, Baker
1: Mayfield said in his post-game interview he was like yeah I introduced myself to one of my linemen like an hour before the game
0: yeah no that's right yep he did say that so I mean For them to come out and start that game 35-10, to I don't give a shit what the final score was. It was 48-37, to but it doesn't matter because they – I think it was truly an ass-kicking that they let off the gas pedal. Uh, So credit to the Browns. They overcame it. First playoff game in years, I believe since 1994, that they've won, and that was Bill Belichick that was the head coach. I mean, man, this is – this is big for the Browns, and I think if there's, if there's any time that you want to play the Chiefs, it's right now. Coming off that, I mean, you, I wouldn't want to see the Chiefs any other time than the time I just whopped the Steelers. I mean, that was the game for them to win. You know, them making the playoff
1: was an anomaly to many people just because everyone has that perception of the Cleveland Browns. They, they showed up. They showed up all season. They turned the corner. And then they upset and they won that game. Anything going forward for them is icing on the cake. You know, the Browns are not the favorites by all means to win the Super Bowl. I think they at least cover the spread next week. I am so confused on why the Chiefs sat majority of the starters in week 17 and then had a bye, you know, at least keep their legs fresh. I mean, they lost the Chargers. It was a meaningless game. I get it, but get the reps in so at least like You're not having almost three weeks off. And it'll go two ways for the it'll go two ways for the Chiefs. The Chiefs will either come out, refresh out of their minds, and play like crazy and drop like 50 points against the Browns, or it'll be a shaky start and they'll come back in the second half. But the Browns right now, the reinforcements are coming. They are very hot and happy. I think the Browns could make some noise. I don't think they'll win the game, but they'll make some noise.
0: I agree. And that takes us to the rapid fire predictions for our divisional round of 2021. Most games, either Saturday or Sunday of this week. Um, you can provide 10 seconds of analysis, too, if you want, but we'll, we will start with Browns Chiefs. I mean, sounds like you're, you're pulling for the Browns to at least cover 10 points. Who's winning that game? I'll say the Chiefs. Uh, Browns have put up a fight,
1: but the chiefs are the destined destined to win the Super Bowl
0: this year. Uh, I'm not even going to put a score on this one. Chiefs going to win. I'll put the score that that would require too much thought because I did not prepare scores for this. Um, yeah, for me, same kind of deal. The chiefs look phenomenal. I think they might get off to a slow start and people will panic. I think maybe the Browns score first, but that's it. Chiefs by a lot and probably not 10 though. Um, Ravens and bills bills are favored by two. I
1: like the bills. I do like the bills. I mean, congratulations to the Ravens for defeating the Titans. Uh, That was a very good game overall. I thought the Titans were going to win that, but the Ravens were just a little bit better. The bills right now are the second hottest team, not only in the AFC, but probably the NFL. They are lights out. Josh Allen is a budding superstar. They have talented, talented offensive players. Stephon Diggs has been a phenomenal trade acquisition for the Bills. I like the Bills over the Ravens. That'll be a close game, just similar to them with the Colts, but the Bills should pull away with that one.
0: I think the Bills had the luxury of running into what we saw as an elite offense. I think we're just going to throw it up that the, the Colts, they played, they, they showed up to play. They had an elite offense. And the Bills will benefit from that experience. They will shut down Lamar Jackson, giving the Bills by like 10. I think two is a little bit too low. Packers are favored minus six and a half over the Los Angeles Rams.
1: Yeah, I think the Packers are going to come out of the NFC. In my opinion, I think that the trio, the three-headed monster of Aaron Rodgers, Devontae Adams, and Jones are just too, too powerful for the Rams. Rams have a good defense, but the playoffs in the NFC run through Lambeau, and that cold weather is going to hit them. And I think the Packers dominantly
0: win this one. I think so too. I think the Packers are one of those teams that will benefit from having this time off. And I think Aaron Rodgers will be Aaron Rodgers. I think the Packers are going to win this by at least two scores. And then Saints are favored minus three in what I think is the most intriguing matchup of this entire divisional round over Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers.
1: Yeah, I like this game a lot. I love divisional matchups in the playoffs because they have so much tension and film on each other. And they know, like, they know these teams very, very well. Uh, It's the battle of the 40 year olds, man. Like, Drew Brees and Tom Brady, two of our you know two football players that you grew up just idolizing and i don't know i really don't know i mean the saints were dominant against the bears and that was a given the bucks kind of didn't really impress me against the washington football team you know they won by 10 plus points i believe or whatever it was i don't think that i don't think it even was 10 i think it was like
0: 9 Eight. it was eight points it was 31
1: 23 yeah and Washington is like has a good defense but I think the Saints are a better team but the pressure is on Tom Brady more than ever I feel you know the Saints and I'm rambling a little bit and I'll close up but the Saints <laughs> the Saints are the better team and Drew Brees this might be his last year and that could make him win it more but Tom Brady has a short, short leash and a ticking time clock with him, his time on the box. So I say the Saints win by a goal.
0: So much for 10 seconds of analysis, I guess. Right. That one, I mean, that one is the game that I'm looking forward to. That one, yeah. It, if there's anyone that does require the most, it's that, because it's, again, it's two old quarterbacks. It's a divisional matchup. This is a game that could go either way. I, I'm, fighting off the urge so much to say Tom Brady wins this and goes on to win a Super Bowl I don't think it's going to happen I think the Saints are just better they're they're a better team than the Bucs I think that's what it's going to come down to I think they have a much better defense than the Buccaneers too so I think that's going to slow down Tom a little bit I do think this is going to be quite high scoring actually though yeah
1: um this is the game I think is will be the only close one
0: uh I I feel like Bill's Ravens is going to be closer than we think it will, but I do think that, you know, I I can't even say the Saints will cover this. It's going to be a very, very close game, but I'm taking the Saints here. Um, Would be a storybook ending for Tom, though. And it could be a storybook ending for Drew Brees. Yeah. Only time will tell. Some of those are on Saturday. Some of those are on Sunday. We will be sure to have um, some – some recaps and some just some general thoughts because I'm sure shit's going to go down that we won't even have any clue about like Aaron Rodgers is going to tear his ACL or something like that that I, I hope I didn't just manifest that for him okay. that would suck so that'll do it for football and our ball segment positivity corner what do we have
1: positivity corner you know this one is kind of cliche but I feel like it's just important to address especially after uh Penn National Gaming hit over a hundred dollars per share and shout out to the CEO of Barcelona Sports Eric Nardini for retweeting us yet again um she's a big fan of the BBB podcast so you never know you know speak, <laughs> good news into the world and it could happen BBB podcast of Barcelona Sports don't take it out of the question but
0: who says no who says no know.
1: Uh, the Barstool Fund. I mean, you know, we don't like to get into politics on this show and we're not getting into politics, but we're going to call a spade a spade. The government has really not done much to support those small businesses uh, suffering and hurting from the coronavirus and the pandemic. And Portnoy, in Dave Portnoy fashion, opened his mouth and had one of his emergency press conference and addressed addressed what needed to be said why aren't people, why isn't the government helping our small businesses? You know, we have restaurants and bars that were open for over a hundred years facing the possibility of closing. And that's when he was challenged to, Hey, you put up 500,000, I'll put up 500,000. Who is that? Who said that? That was, uh, uh, what's his name? Marcus Limonis. Marcus Yeah, from the profit. And that turned into this fund, which has now eclipsed over $22 million, um, supporting over a hundred businesses. And if you haven't seen any of the videos, they are just so heartwarming. I mean, these are just true, true, raw emotion of business owners breaking down, hearing that they do not have to close their doors. They do not have to fire their employees. They don't have to stop earning a living. And it has gained so much, so much traction. I mean, you have people in the crypto world, donating tons and tons of money. You have A-list celebrities do- donating a ton of money. Aaron Rodgers, J.J. Watt, uh, Kodak Black, Damon John, you, uh, Gary Vee, the list goes on. And it's so crazy that this thing is less than a month, month old and has over $20 million. And so many people's lives have been changed in such a good way. So shout out to Dave Portnoy. I mean, if you don't love him, you know, there may be some controversy with Barstool, but this is a very, very, very amazing thing. So that is our positivity of the week, the first one of 2021.
0: Dave Portnoy really has, regardless of where you feel about, you know, if Barstool is not your brand, they don't make your content, they don't support your views. uh, Dave Portnoy is saving, he's actually, this is going to sound really dumb. He's saving people's lives. I mean, He, he actually is, that's the thing it's i mean when you're putting money into owners pockets you are quite literally saving their lives from having to sell their house and live on the street so take that as you will you can call him a bad guy you can call him a misogynist you could call him you know whatever you, what the hell you want to call him in your baseless claims but i mean the man is has used his power and good to raise more than 20 million bucks for people that need it <laughs> sign me up, sign me up. That's a guy that, uh, that I would like to back for sure. So I'm sure they're going to raise uh, even more money and I'm hopeful that they're going to get into the right pockets to see small business in America thrive. And with that, that's our show. beers, business and balls episode 37, uh, 38 will be out next week. A lot of great guests. We're, we're in the process of tying a few loose ends with a few of them. So um hopefully we're gonna have some really good analysis on the next uh couple of playoff weeks for the nfl uh some people in the wine industry maybe some folks in the beer industry as time goes on and we're just excited to be here we're happy you're along for the ride with us that's will i'm jake so long folks take it easy